0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Big Valley Grace. Now you're all thinking about football, right? <laughs> well, it's good to have you here and if you are visiting uh, Big Valley for the first time. Uh, welcome, special welcome to you. Right after the service, my wife and I would be here. Glad to meet with any of you and uh, pray with any of you. At the closure of ever, all our services give opportunity for uh, prayer. Uh, The altar room that you see, just straight through those doors, provides a wonderful place. We have prayer counselors. I'd love to pray with you. If you came carrying great burdens today, we encourage you to hook up with someone and let's pray and let's cast those things to the Lord and let's watch him work in our lives. Well, today we begin a new series for the next four weeks entitled Renewing Your Marriage. And the tendency of all things, right, is is to drift. If a salmon doesn't swim upstream, it drifts downstream you don't paint your house, pretty soon it shows. And like in everything else, we need to take good attention to the thing that God has established and he has called good in our lives. It was he who's brought us together, husbands and wives. His purpose for us is much bigger than what we could ever imagine. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Each of us has a unique story about how God has brought us together. And and in this room and as well as through this series, we're quite aware that there's lots of different stories in this room. Uh, Some of you... um, said goodbye, and you fulfilled your vows to your spouse this last year, and you would dearly love to have your husband and wife with you. We understand that this series stirs up a lot of things, and there's loneliness and things that you're going through as you wait upon the Lord for whatever is the rest of your story. There's others that are single here today you wish that you weren't, and there's another part of your story that might be a little bit different, but God is at work, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Others are soon to get married in fact i wonder is there anyone in our auditorium uh are, are are you engaged to be married anyone would you raise your hand hey there's a few right up there okay. Any anyone else hey let's celebrate them congratulations and <laughs> lord bless you and pray the message that's a great ministry to you and uh how about those how many of you have been married for uh, let's say less than five years uh one to five years there's a few of you Raise your hands nice and high. Congratulations. Good. Glad that you're here. Then there's another group, and I'm going to go a little bit bigger. Let's just go from five to uh, 25 years. Any week, five to 25 years? Good. Good. How about 25 to uh, 50 years? 25 to 50 years? I think we won, right? (laughs) Uh, But you you have celebrated 50 years or more of your marriage. Can I just see your hands? Would you appreciate these folks? Because you've been on a great, great, great journey. At the uh, when the service is done, let me invite you to go to the nook. There are some tremendous resources. One of the things that has been very uh, wonderfully fulfilling to my wife and I is that we spend uh, nearly every day—not every day—but we try to—and uh, we will take a devotional similar to this. This one's called "Walking with God" by David Jeremiah. It is a 365-day devotional that includes scripture reading and some really great thoughts of his. Um, We we don't use this particular one, but there's others that are out there. Live in Grace and Walk in Love by uh, Bob Goff and Tim Keller and Kathy Keller on the meaning of marriage. There are a number of other resources. We encourage you to take advantage of them, breeze through the the nook. But we need to build ourselves. We need to have good stuff going into our hearts that helps us to always deal with issues of communication, uh, of affirmation, encouragement in each of our lives and in our marriages otherwise. Uh, otherwise we will drift away And that's what we're going to be talking about today I want you to meet a couple though Now, over the next four weeks we're going to get to know this couple really well So turn your attention to the screens We're brought here today by the love That Sarah and Dave have for each other
1: I can't believe I get to marry him We're perfectly compatible in every way Yeah, she just gets me, man Someone to talk to all night long Someone to talk to all night long. Early morning jogs. Sleeping in late. We'll spend the holidays with my parents. We'll spend the holidays with my parents. We'll have one well-behaved daughter. We'll have four or five little dudes running around. He'll help me pay off my debt. I should probably tell her about all my debt. Is that important? We'll share a bank account. Obviously, we're going to share a Facebook account. <laughs> Do I need a friend my in-laws? Someone to do my laundry. Someone to do my laundry. Double income. Stay at home, Dad. Meal planning, of course. Takeout. The city. The burbs. Mission trip. Ski trip. Blue. Red. Cat. Dog. Fries. Rings. Potato. Potato. Minivan. Motorcycle. Two words. Finished basement. Two words. Man cave. Oh, he's so smart. Do you think that birds wish that they had hands? We're going to be so happy. We'll be so happy, I'm going to crush it at being a husband.
0: (laughs) Uh, There's a sequel coming. You're going to enjoy each as this story builds, and it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, as you came in this, uh, this morning, you received uh, a program, and inside the program is an opportunity for you to take some notes. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to two passages in Scripture. We'll get to them in just a little bit, but I want you to be ready when we get there. It's always good to bring your Bible. If you don't have one, please see us afterwards. We'll be glad to give you one. But turn to Matthew chapter 16 and Philippians chapter three. We'll be in 16 first and then three a little bit later. But keep your fingers in there so when we get to them, we can go, go right to them. It's our hope when I say our. Uh, Pastor Rick will be teaching the next two series and Pastor Joel will be here for the last. And it's our hope to collectively together that we accomplish three things as we go through this series. One, it's our, it's our hope that regardless of where you are at in your life and in your marriage and in your life story, that this series will be an encouragement to you—that's our hope. And you're, many of you are familiar with the passage of Jeremiah 29. We're going to—and and you'll notice there's a lot of passages of scripture. We hope you take these home and, and look at them. And if you're not familiar with them, highlight them in your Bible and, and begin to memorize them and take them to heart. Because it's, it's God's word here today. We're not going to be dealing with worldly psychology. We're going to be looking at what God has to say to us. His, his word is perfect and is true and is profitable in our lives for teaching and training and leading us in the way that he would want us to go. But Jeremiah says, the Lord says in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, he says, I know the plans that I have for you. And, and while he spoke to Jeremiah a long time ago, it's still true today. The Lord knows the plans that he has for you. Uh, your life and your birth. You're his workmanship. Each one of us has been created for greater purposes than we might ever know. And so the plans that he has for us are not for calamity, but for a future and a hope. And what I like about that passage of scripture in verses 11 through 14, he says, and then you will call upon me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I love that promise that when we seek the Lord with all of our heart, we will find him. And so wherever you are at today, wherever your situation is, There's no situation, no story here today that's too dark, too far away from the Lord. He's nearer and closer than you may think. And some of you, you may even relate to Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus is in the boat and asleep at the front of the bow with his disciples when they encounter the storm. How in the world he could sleep during a storm? I don't know. He must have been really, really, really tired. But his disciples wake him up and says, Lord, don't you care? And you may be in a situation where you feel like you're in the storm and you're wondering, Lord, don't you care? and he does. And he says to the disciples, oh, you of little faith. And he calmed the storm. The disciples wondered, who is this man that just by saying it could calm the storm? The Lord has a plan for each of us. I want you to feel encouraged today as we go into his word. I want you to grab hold of one of these verses and apply it to your life. Hope that this series engenders hope in you. Uh, That um, that you would see God's mighty hand in each of your lives, no matter where, again, you are at, and even in relationships that are just beginning, that you establish your home in the Lord and you would watch him work and you would recognize that he is the one that has worked in us to complete us, to become like Christ. And the passage in Jeremiah is one of my favorites where Jeremiah says, Oh, behold, the Lord God, with your outstretched arms and your spoken word, you made the heavens and the earth. Surely nothing is too difficult for you. And that is a good reminder because when, when things look really dark, it's good to remember that the one who spoke the worlds in existence knows the number of hairs you have in your head. He knows when the sparrow falls out of his nest, he knows exactly what it is you're going through and he's carrying that burden with you. He's walking with you. His rod and your staff will be his comfort as you walk through these deep and dark valleys. But folks, there is always hope because it's in the Lord's hand. The battle is his as we lean upon him. And lastly, I hope that this series challenges you. And I've met some that have said, hey, I don't need this. Our marriage is perfect. They <laughs> say, we need to work on some humility. <laughs> but, but, but it's true. It, it, this is for all of us. All of us need tune-ups. All of us need to look at his word and say, Lord, I, I don't want the enemy to even to get a little bit of a foothold into my life. Solomon and the Song of Solomon says we need to grab those little foxes that are tearing up our vineyards. And we need to be attentive to the little things that might be eroding our trust, eroding our communication, and separating us and growing us apart. Things that seem to be really innocent that are causing us to go further and further away. And so there is a challenge here. And as we come to the conclusion, there's a challenge to examine our lives. And an unexamined life is a dangerous life. One of the things that hinders us in really examining our life is the issue of Pride that says everything's good. Something wrong with you, but everything's good with me. <laughs> and that is not what—that is not at all what we, what we want. So I want to ask you this question. What is the purpose of your marriage? It's a good question to ask yourself. As the Lord has brought the two of you together, what is, why did he do that? For Nancy and I, I was born and raised in Modesto. She was born and raised in Ohio and through some unique circumstances, the Lord took me from here and put me back there. And by his divine appointments, we met. And it was all him that brought us together. It was he who brought us together. Your story may not be quite as dramatic, but he has brought the two of you together. The Bible says that whatever God has brought together, don't let anyone separate. Don't let anyone put that asunder. And so the unions that we share, even though maybe some of it was frivolous, is by God's good work. And he is establishing something that's brand new, that's different, that's never been seen before. That means that what Nancy and I enjoy is gonna be different than what you and your wife or your spouse would enjoy. And that's okay. That's what he wants. He loves variety. He loves diversification. And he's doing something unique in each one of our lives. But what is the purpose of marriage? It's bigger than companionship, though that's a part of it. It's bigger than building a family, though that's a part of it. The purpose of your marriage and my marriage is simply this, that all things, including our marriages, exist to and for the glory of God. Everything. Everything on this planet, every relationship on this planet exists for one major purpose, and that is you and I exist to the glory of God. You and I exist for the glory of God. And what we mean by the glory of God is that he is exalted, that we stand before him, that we acknowledge his good work, we acknowledge that he truly is the king of kings, he is the Lord of lords, he is the wonderful counselor, he is the one supreme in each of our lives. It is his work, not ours. And he receives all the honor, all the glory. Every marriage exists for that purpose. John Piper said that the biggest investment that a wife or a husband can make in their spouse is the investment that they make in their own souls. And that's true. Two unselfish people never divorce. Two unselfish people never divorce. And the biggest investment that you and I can make in each other's lives is investment that we make in our own souls. And that's what the heart of the, it is of this message here tonight. And so I want to go through some things that I think are just absolutely true. Things that span all cultures, all times, exist in all places, whether you live in Paris, and other large metropolitan areas or you live in the jungles of the Amazon, these things are absolutely true. And so follow along with me as we go through these notes. It is absolutely true. And those of you who have been married for 50 years or longer, I think, would agree with me. And I think we all know this in our heart, that unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. We were never made, and never is intended, that you and I would face this life alone. Just my wife and I. No. You know what a three-legged stool is? For any of you who have been milking, you know why you have a three-legged stool? If you have a four-legged, it can easily get off of balance. But a three-legged stool is always balanced. It's always secure. And it's the Lord's intent is that we need to be a three-legged stool. We need him. We need him. I don't know if you ever tried to sit on a two-legged stool. It doesn't work real well, particularly for milk and cows. But a three-legged stool will always will have balance. And it's, it was really apparent to me early on, years and years ago. My wife and I are about to celebrate 44 years of marriage that my home definitely needed the Lord. Unless we build the house, unless, we, unless he's building the house. In this passage of scripture in Psalm 127, 1 and 2, it says that those who guard the city, if he's not guarding it, they, they labor in vain, right? Uh, and We can have all the rockets and all the tools, but if the Lord's not there, it's all in vain. And the same is true in our house. Jesus said that if we hear his words and ignore him, we're gonna build our house on the sand. And when the storms of life come, guess which house is going to stand? It's the one who hears his words, applies to the life, you'll be building your house upon the rock. So in one truth, whether you're in the Amazon or you're here in Modesto or in Paris, France, we need to build our houses upon the Lord. The second thing that is true is that all of us will experience seasons of life. Just as we are outside experiencing the season of winter that's soon to turn into spring, so it is in our life that we will have seasons that we will all pass through. And so we have a young couple that's in the spring of their life. And and love is just flourishing and it's just blossoming. And, And Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there's a time and a season for everything under the sun. And for any of us who've been married for any length of time, we understand that, right? There's a time to laugh and there's a time to cry. There's a time to dance and there's a time to mourn. There's a time to reap and there's a time to sow and so it is in our lives and so we will have seasons of life where it's spring and spring represents life and vitality and beauty and freshness and newness and then summer comes and summer you know it's a preparation for harvest children are there life is kind of you know all about the kids and then fall comes and kids are gone and you have this time of preparation and season because winter's coming. And how you manage those seasons' life determines what your winter is going to be like. And some of you are in that season of winter. My mother and father are passing through that season. And just this year, they completed their vows that they made 73 years ago. But in winter, often, is a tough season. It's cold. It's hard. But it's a time to be prepared for it. And, how, and whatever we do in building our lives in the spring and the summer and the fall determines what that winter is going to be like. But be sure and know, you know he'll reference these things a lot. <laughs> Your marriage will not be like a Hallmark movie. <laughs> there will be magical moments. <laughs> and there will be lots of euphoria. But let me tell you, there's a season coming where tears will come. Hardships will come. And every one of us will be tested by er- in every line and every word that we ever said to one another. We, when we made vows and commitments before God and witnesses, every one of those lines. And we made promises and commitments to love one another until death separated us. So we made promises and commitments that through diverse trials and blessings, sickness and health. And every one of those words and every one of those lines, as we are married, will be tested in those things. And that's the third aspect. Testings will come in every seasons of life. We ought not be surprised when they come. We will never be immune from testing. The testings refine our vows. It, it, it really separates those who are serious and not so serious. Did, did, did we get married out of, out of convenience? Did we get married for wrong emotions? Those things will be tested to see what really was the truth of those vows. We're even testing our relationship with the Lord. The the book of Hebrews talks about that those who profess the Lord with their mouth but whose heart is far from them. There's value in being tested to know where we really stand, not only with ourselves but with our our spouses. So testing's in every season going to come. We also need to know, number four, we also need to know is that there is an enemy of our soul whose aim is to destroy what God has declared good. It is important to know that the things that you and I and all of us wrestle with are not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There is an enemy that wants to destroy what God has said is to be good. Think about this. Remember the days when you were courting... (laughs) And the temptations you had to get into bed with one another before you said, I do. And then you say, yeah, I do. And the, temptations to get, and the temptations are real to get out of the bed into somebody else's. That's the work of the enemy. He wants to lay snares and traps into our life. And as you watch movies and different things that our culture has to offer, it's interesting that much of, of wonderful couple love Is celebrated outside of marriage, and then once marriage, almost every movie illustrates deadness of soul. And that's not whatever God has intended, but that's the work of the enemy. That's the snare that he wants to set. And so we need to recognize that there are going to be testings, and every season of marriage will not be immune. And there is an enemy that prowls about. He is looking to destroy, and boy, if he can get you, he can get your kids. And from your kids, you can get your grandkids. And on and on and on it goes. And so each of us are real targets for the enemy's work. We need to have the whole armor of God on. We need to be aware. Of we cannot go through life unprepared for what is before us. We need to recognize these things to be true. Fifthly, we also need what's true is in due time, we will reap what we sow. We will reap what we sow in our marriages and our families and our children's lives. It is absolutely essential that we build our house upon the Lord and we sow those good seeds. Because whatever it is we sow, there will be a harvest that will come. And so if we sow seeds of um say covetousness, meaning that we have overextended ourselves and we have huge financial debt, you don't think that will come home to bite you? You, you, if we sow seeds that, that the Lord in our, our relationship with him is, is at a place of convenience, that means he fits in when it's convenience, but we've got all these other activities that take place of that. And you think the kids won't notice that and, and, and that won't come home to bite us? If we sow seeds of dishonesty, you don't think that that will come home and get us? What we sow we will reap. And we ought not to be surprised that as we go through this course of marriage, if we have not been sowing good seeds, that when we hit that 25-year mark, when we hit that 50-year mark, that we are just miles and miles apart. And so we need to tend to to our garden. If any of you have had a garden, you know what you have to do, right? You got to tend to it. Otherwise, the weeds in just a short period of time. I, when we tend to garden, we hate to go on vacation because we know when we come back, the weeds are going to be this tall. <laughs> True, right? And so it's important for us to know that we, whatever we sow, that is the truth that we will reap. And for, if, sixthly, it is also well for us to re examine our lives, and that's part of what we're doing here today. It's important for us not only to re examine our lives, but also to be honest with one another. And I said this just a moment ago. It is not healthy to live an unexamined life. It's not healthy for us to live an unexamined life in regards to our relationship, to be honest with one another. Honey, how are we doing? But it's also good to be honest with ourselves in terms of walking with the Lord. Lord, do I just profess you when the times are good? Or am I walking with you even when it's tough? Am I clinging to you? Are you really truly the king of my life? And so it's good in every area of our life to be honest with each other. To examine ourselves and Paul implores us to be real careful that we're not the ones who give lip service to Christ but whose heart's far from him. And the same thing applies into our marriage. That we have good communication because the tendency is to stop and to drift away and become very involved in our own activities. And before you know it we're just ships passing in the dark and that's not what the Lord at all would want us to be. So what is it then that every marriage needs the most? What is it that every marriage needs the most? And that's where we're at today. What every marriage needs the most is our own personal holiness, our own personal pursuit of Christ. And that takes us to Matthew chapter 16. So, if you would, take your Bibles, look at Matthew 16, and look at these verses. Let me get there. Look at these verses, starting in verse 24 to 27. Matthew 16, 24 to 27, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, isn't it great that he says anyone, if anyone among us would come after me, here's what he needs to do. He must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Look at 25, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. For what good will it be to a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come. Look at this, verse 27. This will connect in Philippians chapter 3. For the Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. So let's just look at 24 here for just a moment. Jesus said to his disciples three things. If anyone wishes to come after me, what must they do? He's going to deny himself. You take your personal rights, your personal privileges, and you set them down for the sake of someone else. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility and mind, let each of you regard one another more important than themselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. If you want to follow Christ, you can't be number one. In fact, if you really want to follow Christ, it's not even number two. Way down on the list. And so Paul implores, Husbands, you love your wives in the same way that Jesus loved the church. How did he love the church? He denied himself. Remember at the time at Gethsemane? He said, Father, is there another way? Lord, if there's another way, would you take this, take this cross from me? But not my will, your will be done. And Philippians chapter two says that he humbled himself. Though he was equal with God, he He left that behind, became a servant, even to death of a cross. And Paul says, guys, get that. You can't be number one in a successful marriage. You die for the sake of your wife. You die for the sake of your kids. When you go to work, you do that not for yourself, but for your family. You take a lower spot. You deny yourself. And then you pick up the burden that God has given you to carry. You pick it up and you follow Christ. You'll be obedient to Him all the way to the end, trusting in Him. And the reason you do that is because He's coming. He's coming. And He's coming with His angels to reward those who have followed Him. Years ago, before I was married, and my wife and I were engaged, I was wrestling with the vows that I was about to take. And what was disturbing in me, we had a college professor who taught Bible, who we thought really high of, and during our engagement period, he, he left his wife, and I thought, if he can't do it, how can I ever do it? How can, I, how can I make this commitment to this woman, who is soon to be my wife, and say that, I guarantee you 25 years from now, I'm going to feel the same way about you 25 years from now as I do about today, and I realized I could make that kind of a promise. So how could I keep those vows? And I recognize it was here in verse 27. And he says, for um, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I realize if I were to seek first God's kingdom first, I'd put him first. I'd seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, that the things that I would really desire in my life, he'd provide. The things that I really think are important to me, he'll provide if I seek him first. And I recognize that if I were to seek my life, if I would seek, if I would put every all my energy into having a happy marriage, I'll never find it. It'll be elusive to me. If I would make it number one in my life, I'm going to do everything I can to be a millionaire, it will fly away from me. But if I would surrender my life, if I would actually intend to lose it, guess what? He he provides, he restores the very thing it is that I need in my life. Not only will he provide for me in the area of physical things, but he also provide for those things that I need most And if I put my focus on him. In fact, what happens when my wife puts Jesus first in her life, she becomes a woman that's irresistible. And when I put Jesus first in my life and I see, and I walk humbly before him, I can become a man that she honors and she respects. That's what God intended. That's the three-legged milk stool that we need to have in our life where he is first, my focus is on him, my wife's focus is on him, and he gives us each other. He gives us each other. That's his pattern right here. So look what Paul says in Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three in this incredible passage, Paul recites some of the things that he thought measured success in his life. And he comes to this place in Philippians chapter three, verses seven, I'm sorry, verse 12 through fourteen, He says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take the hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And folks, that's what our attitude ought to be, is that you and I would be earnest in taking hold of that which Christ has took hold of us. And so he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But here's the one thing I do. I forget about what's behind me. And for some of us, there's a lot to forget and to leave behind. But I strain toward that which is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul was looking forward to. That phrase, to that call, that heavenward call, what he was referencing and what was very real to him was that time that is coming with Jesus and his angels and Paul's name is called and he says, Paul, come up here. I got a reward for you. And Paul comes up to the uh, Bema Seat where awards are handed out. And he has Jesus put on that gold crown of righteousness and says, Paul, well done, thou good and faithful servant. When you look at Paul's life, all that he endured for the cross of Christ, the beatings, the times that he was shipwrecked, uh, the times that he was robbed bandits on the road and treated poorly, all of those times He said, those are momentary light afflictions producing in me a great weight of glory. What drove him day after day after day was a day, I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait for him to say, well done. And some of us are here in our marriages today. And I want you to look forward to seeing Jesus. And he says, well done, well done. I know it was hard for you to love that man. Well done. I know it was hard for you to love that woman. Well done. You did it for me. What well, we often forget. My wife belongs to Jesus first. She's his little girl. I need to be real careful how you treat my his, his little girl. Those of you who are dads who've had to give their daughter away in marriage. I don't know if you had this experience. But did you look at that young man and say... This is my little girl. You better take good care of her. (laughs) Otherwise, we're going to have a conversation. (laughs) Can you imagine standing before God and him having to say, I I entrusted you, my son. I entrusted you, my little girl. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I know it isn't easy, but thank you. And it was that that drove Paul looking forward to the day, being obedient to the Christ to the best of his ability, eager at that time when Jesus, in front of all the angels, says, Paul, well done. And that ought to drive our marriages, that ought to drive our relationships as employers and employees, it ought to drive every aspect of it to hear Jesus say to us, well done. So how do we press on to Christ? Let me give you four things that I think are important to how we press on to Christ, as Paul described. The first thing is there is honest examination. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. It's a good prayer to pray. James says that if we confess our sins to one another, we will, we will be healed. But we need self-examination. Matthew 7, 1 through 5 is interesting in relationship to marital relationships. In Matthew 7, 1 through 5 says, be real careful about what you see in somebody else. That's like a speck compared to the big thing that's sticking out of your eye that everybody else can see. Why don't you take care of that first? And oftentimes in marital relationships, we're so hung up on what our spouse has done, not seeing our own thing right here that needs to be taken care of. It is really important that we be honest, that we examine ourselves, and we take the beam out of our own eye before we begin to be so focused on the speck that's in our spouse's eye. Secondly is that we need to confess our sin to others and to God. Those two things are together. It's not just confessing it to God, but confessing it to others. This is where James says that if we confess our sins to one another, we will be healed. John says, 1 John says that if we confess our sins before God, he will be faithful, he'll cleanse us from all sins and restore righteousness back into our lives. And so not only do I need to be right before God, but I also need to be right before my wife and my children and those around me. Thirdly, how do we press on to Christ So it not only begins with self-examination but confession of sin, but I need to forgive as we have been forgiven. And I, we ought not ever forget where, where we have been and how we have been so wonderfully loved by the Lord, forgiven by him, uh, folks, we're not pretty people, right? We, we, we all fall short. In fact, Romans says that, that the Lord demonstrated his great love for us, that while we were in the worst of our sins, that's when he loved us the most. That's when he demonstrated his love. That that's when Christ died for us, when we were the furthest away. And he had compassion upon us. He was not willing that any should perish, but all, come to, know, all to come to know him. We ought never forget the extent to how greatly that he has wonderfully accepted us and forgive us. How can we hold anything against somebody else? We need to forgive as we have been forgiven. Boy, that relationship in a marriage is essential. That we live in a state of examination, confession, and forgiveness that keeps all things clean. And lastly, we need to walk daily in the spirit. Walk daily in the Holy Spirit, not in the flesh, we need to surrender to his will. We need to wait on God in prayer. We need to avoid sin and we need to pursue the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. That ought to be our prayer every day. Even together as a couple, that together we would walk in the Spirit of God. We would follow him and all of our things that we would have for us. And so here's the conclusion for today. In every message, we ask the Holy Spirit to work. <clears throat> And I ask him to work even in my own life. Don't think that as myself or Rick or Joel, that we're immune from any of this thing. We're not. The enemy wants us just as bad as he wants you. We're attacked just as you are attacked. We're afflicted just as you are afflicted. We are all in process, every, every one of us. And these things are very real. Is there a sin, sin that you and I need to confess? This is part of self-examination. We need to be honest with ourselves. Is there something that I need to acknowledge to my wife or to my, to my uh, spouse, to my husband? The, the truth is there's no such thing as a secret, right? The Bible says, be sure and know your sins will find out. It's just a matter of time before truth comes to light. And one gentleman yet last night in response to the message, an affair came to light that had happened 18 years ago, blew his marriage apart. It's just a matter of time. Boy, I told my boys, it's better for you to come to tell me right away than for me to find out. And the enemy would love to keep things a secret, thinking that it will never be found out. But the truth of it is, the enemy loves, and he just waits when the time is ripe. and the longer it goes where it's not said and admitted, the greater damage that it, that it does in relationships. We need to confess. We need to keep short accounts. We need to take those risks and to say there's something I need to say. I need to ask for your forgiveness. You know what the one thing that really hinders this from really working? In Proverbs, Solomon says, There's six things the Lord hates. No, 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 there's seven. (laughs) You know what's at the top of that list? It's pride. It's pride. Pride keeps me from being honest. Pride keeps me from confessing my sin. Pride keeps me from asking for forgiveness. And you see it. We see it in the political arena where a politician says, hey, what I did, you know, if that offended you, I'm wrong, but. <laughs> and it's always that but that gives clues that they really haven't humbled themselves. Because true confession says, what I did, and this is how we even approach the throne of God, you are so right, I am so wrong. It's not because of anything else. There's no justification. What I did was wrong would you forgive me? The second part of it is we confess our sin. Is there a wrong that needs to be made right? That's taking care of business. So it's just not enough to have this horizontal relationship right. It also, the Lord says, now I want you to go and make it right. In Matthew chapter five, I think it's in verse 41, Jesus says to his disciples that if you are approaching a time of sacrifice and great significance, if you recall that you have offended somebody, you just need to stop. You need to do all that you can to make it right and now your sacrifice will be acceptable. And so sometimes we need to take care of business. We need to go and do the best that we can to make whatever offenses are, we need to nullify them as best that we can, seek reconciliation, be honest and seek forgiveness so that we have a clean house, that there's no skeletons in our closet, there's no unfinished business that will haunt us. And lastly, as you look at these things, maybe some of you today are carrying great burdens in your life. And the Lord invites us to cast all of our cares, all of our burdens upon him because he cares deeply for you and for me. And so it could be very real as we go through this, but boy, there's things, that offenses that you, Lord, it's through his Holy Spirit, not through me. It's through the Holy Spirit that says, you know, son, there's, There's something we need to take care of when we get home today. There's a wrong that needs to be made right. And maybe there is a burden that needs to be casted on and, and, and laid at the altar and have a brother and sister encouragement put their arm around you and pray with you as you give this matter to the Lord and you put your trust in him. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And the altar will be available for any that would like to go in for a serious time of prayer. We have some wonderful counselors that would love, in confidentiality, pray with you in whatever matter that this might have touched your heart today. My wife and I will be right up here in the front. There might be a few others that will be joining me, but we our desire is just to pray with you and and just to watch God work. He, I, I love. There's a passage in Ezekiel that talks about the dry bones. Ezekiel's called out in the field. you see those dry bones? Yeah, watch this. And he makes the dry bones come to life. He restores what the locusts have eaten. He can bring flowers in the desert. There is great hope in the Lord as we trust in him. And that's my hope for each of us here today and through this series as we knew our, our relationship with the Lord, trusting him, watching him work. I want you all to stand. I want to pray for you here tonight. Father, I thank you so much for this privilege today to open up your word. It's your word, Lord, that has power in our lives. And in this auditorium here and in the venue and those who are online are watching, Lord, is every story under the sun. There's stories of joy and there's stories of brokenness. There's stories of heavy burden. There's stories, folks that are under a heavy load trying trying to fulfill their marital vows. It's not easy when sickness visits. The things that we said years ago when we said I do are different than what we, today are different than what we ever thought we might ever be. But you have been faithful. You are the shepherd of our lives. You are creating a story in each of our lives so that you receive all the honor and glory. So Lord, I pray for these here today that have been broken by divorce, that you bring healing and blessing. I pray those who have experienced the loss of their dearest loved one, you bring comfort. And Lord, you'd use them in our lives to talk about the hope of Jesus as we trust in them. For the marriages that are soon to begin, Lord, I pray you'd help them to build their life upon you. For those of us, Lord, that are in the woods right now, I mean, we are, we are trying to work it out with our kids and our jobs and our houses and all these other things that, Father, that you would reign supreme, that we would be good students of your word, but also, Lord, ones who walk with you day by day. And Lord, we would pray that the enemy would not gain any ground in our lives. That you would help us, Lord, to walk with you and that you would stand watch over our homes for your glory. And so, Lord, we love you. We bless you. We praise you. And Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Because, Lord, if you're not in it and if you're not building it, it's all in vain. And we don't want it to be in vain. So we honor you. We give you praise. And we celebrate you that you are near, not far. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Lord bless you. We'll see you next week. wrong.